On today's episode of Double Down Trent, Aaron and I are previewing the Big 12 Conference for NCAA football as we continue our Futures Series bets. So we've already done several of the biggest conferences, and this time we're taking a look at who's going to take home the Big 12. Is it Oklahoma? Is it Texas? Is there a wild card in there that we think you might want to bet? And then the second part of our episode tonight, we are introducing a brand new segment that we are calling Role Players. So we welcome back on reoccurring guest Coulter as we analyze some of the best role players, assisting characters in TV and movie history. So stick around for episode 38 of Double Down Trent. Double Down Trent, you might want to tune in. Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win. Pop culture to movies. Let's start up the combo. Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto. Keep it authentic and it's always live. So competitive, so you know it's always hype. Make sure you subscribe. Trust you don't want to miss. Going all in here on Double Down Trent. Hey, yeah, Double Down Trent. Let's go. This is Double Down Trent. Welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I'm your co-host as always. Once again, I am joined by my buddy Aaron. And Aaron, we're on our summer hours, but damn, does it feel good to be back. Will you remind me how many days we have until NFL and NCAA football again? I'm glad you brought that up because it's close. Okay, we're in the dog days of summer. We're going to touch on what's been happening, but I've got the official count here for you. Are you ready? Uh, hit we me. got 41 days until college football kicks off, and we've got 52 days until the first NFL kickoff. So it's close, man. It is coming. So what you're going to tell me is I'm going to blink and it's finally going to be here. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens at this time of the year, man. Summer flies by and all of a sudden, you know, we've got football about four days a week. We've got bets to be made. We've got games to be watched and it is heaven. All right. Well, I, uh, I'm going to hold out hope because I'm ready for it to happen tomorrow, but 41 days should hopefully fly by. Yeah. But congratulations are in order. We survived the two slowest days in professional sports on the entire calendar, which is the two days after the major league all-star game. There is nothing. And I heard some degenerates on Twitter who were out there being like, oh, you've got NBA Summer League. We've got uh, WNBA. I'm like, you guys are degenerates if you're doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't pull myself to make anything happen on those days. But uh, it's nice for those baseball players to get a break. My Nats needed a little uh, rejuvenation, especially the bullpen. And hopefully they'll, they'll come and dominate the second half of the year. Yeah, man, we've got some uh, some baseball nats down at the stretchers right now. They're they're charger or shooting charger leading the wild card right now. So hopefully we're gonna have some meaningful baseball down the stretch. I like it. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Now where we left off, um, we had quite a draft. We did the best movies draft, and I thought it went really well. We had Lenny come on. We did our little debates. Uh, we broke it down for the listeners, and we put the results or not the results. We put it out there on social media to see who had the best list. We put it on Instagram. We put it on Twitter. We put it on our website and the results are in. Now, do you want to give the results or would you like me to? Well, before we even, I really just don't want to get to the results. So before we do, I just want to remind the listeners what our suite of movies were. Your baseball movies, you had Sandlot, Bull Durham, The Natural, Rookie of the Year, and Little Big League. My baseball movies, I had Field of Dreams, A League of Their Own, Major League, For the Love of the Game, and Moneyball. And listeners were voting to see which one they thought was better. All right, why don't you just give it to 
give it to me and make it quick and painless. Yeah. So uh, with about 83% of the vote, a resounding win <laughs> for the, the man. Once again, the undisputed heavyweight champion of pop culture challenges. I don't even know what to say. I'm shocked. I'm appalled. I'm disgusted. I'm not sure how you're bribing all these voters to, to land on your side, but uh, I just can't seem to buy a win. Listen, the final vote came down. I had 27. You had seven, so it wasn't even close. Um, I thought, you know, you had some uh, some chances in there. You had a League of Their Own, which is a fan favorite. Uh, if I had to guess, most of those uh, seven that you received were because of that one. Um, but listen, I had the Sandlot and I had Rookie of the Year. Those are two of the nostalgic ones, uh, especially for people our age. Uh, Bolt Durham mixed in there. And, you know, I was nervous, but once the votes started pouring in, the man once again retains his championship belt. Well, and I have theories about how I can maybe make this even more even and fair in the future. And what I would like to do with our next competition around movies is to put out the movies without attaching whose name is who for the groups. Okay. So then you just get purely getting the voters, you know, a little double blind. They're not, they don't know who owns what they have to okay. vote and we'll see where we land. And then, uh, I like my chances there. So you think the fans are just voting for me just cause I do. Me. you know, I, do. I don't hate it. I'm not going to lie. I'll stand <laughs> by that one. But my list was best. It was the best list and it continues to be the best list. I'll give it to you. It was a resounding success for you. I continue to just utterly struggle in these pop culture competitions <laughs> but next one I, I keep telling myself it's got to be the next one the next one so football season's coming up we haven't done football movies so you've got a chance that's we'll, right we'll put and, that out there and the good thing about this movie movie list is that we have our first listener voicemail yeah the first one we did was uh i'm not gonna lie it was a plant by us i recorded it and uh, I put it in there so that doesn't count. So we actually do have our first listener voicemail. So thank you to the individual who called in. Uh, we're going to play that voicemail for you here, and then we're going to respond to it. Uh, obviously, you probably hear my dog in the back. Once we hit record, Coco says hello. And there she is. So uh, our first voicemail comes from a listener named Mark in Boston. So go ahead and cue it up here. What's up, Ryan and Aaron? It's Mark from Boston. How you guys doing? You doing good? I just listened to the baseball movie podcast. I really enjoyed it. You guys did some great analysis. But I want to say it's an absolute travesty. You guys didn't even mention Fever Pitch. I mean, you got the Sox winning the series. Get well soon, Bobby. It's getting an incredible performance from Jimmy Fallon. I mean, the guy's the best. That movie's an absolute masterpiece. The fact that it didn't even get mentioned, it's appalling. Anyway, keep up the good work. Say how you did mother for me, all right? So how about that? Mark Wahlberg calls in. At least I'm you assuming know, it's Wahlberg. I knew our podcast was big, but I didn't know it was Mark Wahlberg big. Yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> well, I guess we should address it then because Mark is hopefully pushing this out to his friends. Can I just <laughs> say I've never seen Fever Pitch because of my utter hatred for the Red Sox? Okay. I mean, listen – it's uh, it, it hits near and dear to my heart uh, as a as a Red Sox fan at one point in my life. Uh, I I do root for them. Now, there's a lot of things about that movie that I really appreciate, and it's not just uh, in terms of baseball because Jimmy Fallon's obsession and dedication to the Red Sox is basically my relationship with football. In period, so. Uh, 
Um, come football season, I'm obsessive that way. Um, to the point where my now fiance, she wasn't sure what she was getting into on Sundays. I was like, listen, I know we have a great thing going on here, but you should know something about me on Sundays. All I do is watch football. And that's kind of what Jimmy Fallon does, uh, with the Red Sox. So he's a, an obsessive fan who, uh, you know, really dives in. He's had season tickets his entire life. Now there are some issues with this movie. I do love Drew Barrymore in that movie, uh, or I should say in general, I like Drew Barrymore in that movie. She's not, it's not her best performance. Uh, you've got some, some really hard romance parts. So it's, it's a rom-com and the chemistry between Jimmy and Drew is just not great. Um, it's a good movie, but I just don't think with the 10 picks we had, it justified a spot on my list. Do you like, and I'm speaking, I, I haven't seen it. So I only have seen the, um, some of the ads for it. It seems like a bunch of the the movie was shot at Fenway. So was that and there was like a live crowd there. It was for during a game or what was the deal? Do you know the story? Yeah, and it, it was uh, they actually filmed it the season uh, in the 2004 season when the Sox won the World Series. So um, the movie obviously was taking place where the Sox hadn't won since you know 19 was 18, um, and they actually got really lucky. They're filming at Fenway, and it was the season where they come back and then win the world series for the first time ever. So, um, they actually, I remember watching the world series and I saw Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon on the field and I'm like, wait, what, why are they on the field? So they really got lucky. They struck, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle, if you will, they captured the, that run. So, um, kind of a cool idea that it happened that year, but, uh, I'm a fan of it. I I really do enjoy it. There's some scenes particularly like where they're drafting, uh, which people get to go to certain games, which I love. We do that uh, with our Nats tickets. So Mm -hmm. a lot of things you can relate to, uh, especially being the super fan uh, that, you know, sports in particular with this movie, the Red Sox takes over their, uh, their whole life. But um, yeah, I, you know, I like that movie, but I'm not uh, heartbroken that it wasn't on my list. I would agree. Uh, maybe I'll consider it in the future when we do a second round baseball movie draft a couple of years from now, but uh, I'm very happy not to have it on, but Mark yeah. Wahlberg, thanks for calling in. Thanks Mark. Uh, and let's be honest, Jimmy Fallon, great entertainer, not the best actor. So leave it at that. Okay. Wow. How about that? That's something. So let's transition. We've been doing future uh, bets based on NCA football conferences. We've done quite a few. We've got a doozy this week. It's the Big 12. So, Aaron, the model, please give us some of your insights as to what you're thinking for who's going to take home the crown in the Big 12. Yeah, and I think the Big 12 runs through three teams. The only three teams that I'm bringing up to you are Oklahoma, Texas, and Iowa State. These are the the big favorites to win the conference this year. Oklahoma is the overwhelming favorite. Uh, The expectation there is that they'll win kind of 54% of the time. Texas is the next. They're kind of estimated at 25% of the time. And then Iowa State is third, very close to West Virginia from what I've seen. But Iowa State is right around 7%, um, as is West Virginia. But just because of – I left West Virginia off my short list just because of Will Greer departing. Uh, I know there's been a QB transfer there, but I'm I'm just – there's a lot of uncertainty, so I've stayed away. And these are the three that I'm I'm looking at right now. Okay. Now, what I take away from this one – and obviously Oklahoma is a huge favorite. You may not want to bet on them, but as you're going to say, uh, Oklahoma is just such an intriguing team right now, especially under Lincoln Riley. Their offense has been outrageous. Huge. Obviously they produced Baker Mayfield uh, in that system. They just had Kyler Murray come through there and now they're transferring in Jalen hurt from Alabama. So 
it's going to be really intriguing to see what happens with, with that player, with that offense and kind of see how they do it. Because, you know, Kyler was obviously a freak of nature who could run. Uh, he obviously is a better runner than Jalen hurts, but I think Jalen's probably better runner than Baker. So you, you still kind of have that element there that he could uh, take off and run at any point. And before we even get into things, talk to me a little bit about, do you have any concerns with Jalen hurts transferring? You know, he essentially has less than a year to get ready before he's the starter is he going to be able to pick up the system? Is he going to have everything down by the time the season starts? Or do you feel like the guys who are around for around programs for more than a year and then get to start are in better position? I think typically the guys that are there longer are usually in a better position. Like Kyler was there for a couple of years. He learned under Baker. Like these guys have time to learn it. From what I know about Lincoln Riley's offense, even though it is, uh, you know, very complex uh, spreads and themes and schemes uh, actually learning as a quarterback, I don't think is as hard as it, it may seem. A lot of the the offense is basically you're making one read um, on just a certain you know combination of routes. So it's not something that I think is, is complex to learn. What's going to be difficult for him is to pick up all of the, um, like the language of it, like what everything's called, what the checks are called, what the motions are called, what the routes are called. Um, so some of that might be tricky, but from what I understand, he's already been there. Um, you know, as soon as he transferred and like, I think, what was it like January, February time is when he moved over. So he's had time to learn the playbook. Yep. He's going to be all summer long. I'm sure he's there right now learning the system. So I don't think it's going to be that much of a disadvantage. And you've got a guy who's, uh, you know, have has serious experience at Alabama. You know, he came in last year uh, when Tua was hurt and basically won the SEC championship game. So, uh, you know, I think that's the trade off is maybe he doesn't know the system as well as maybe the next guy up, the next backup quarterback, but you can't replace that kind of big game experience. So it's going to be quite an experiment to watch. And I'm really excited for it. They're, they're going to put up a ton of points. They're definitely going to put up a ton of points. Okay, so to review the odds real fast, I gave you the percentages, but Oklahoma, I'm seeing right around minus 120. Texas is around plus 300, and Iowa State's around plus 1250. Um, so those all translate to 54%, 25%, 7%. And then just to review a couple folks who have either come to the teams or they've lost over the last year, you already mentioned Jalen Hurts with Oklahoma. Um, they returned two of their top stud running backs in Sermon and Kennedy Brooks. Uh, they also return, they lose their best receiver in, in what I think is Marquise Brown, but then CD Lamb is a close number two guy who is phenomenal and he is returning. What so a name, me, by the way. I know, I love it. When <laughs> I think of Lincoln Riley uh, and his ability to just create these offenses that are juggernauts, like I don't worry about them losing an absolute stud receiver because I think they'll, he'll have someone in the wings to come through. Yeah, and, and the type of, I hate just calling a spread offense because he really runs complex like schemes in that, but yeah. they look up on skill players who can catch the football and just like churn these guys. So, well, you know, Marquise Brown was the stud last year, but probably two guys that didn't play who are also a freak of nature who can just step right in. And with Texas, they obviously have their quarterback, Sam uh, Linger coming back. <laughs> just called Ellinger. <laughs> no, that's how I say it. Ellinger. <laughs> uh, and uh, with Iowa State, I was actually really impressed. So they had a quarterback last year who was a freshman, Brock Purdy, who seemed to be an absolute stud. He put up some great numbers. And then they have their starting running back, David Montgomery, is also returning. So you can expect them to put up a bunch of points this year, too. Yeah. And I want to take a few minutes and talk about Texas because I think they're the intriguing team to look at here. You know, that team, I don't know how even the past couple of years before uh, Tom Herman came in and you know, took over the head coaching role, but when Matt Brown was there, 
uh, th- they should always be able to recruit. They're fucking Texas football. You know how many people in the state of Texas that they could just recruit alone and should be able to dominate? So for me, they're the interesting team. Last year, they went 10-4. and four, So they're on the upswing. Something about Sam Ellinger, I didn't really watch a ton of Texas games in the regular season, but I did watch them um, in the Big 12 and the Big 12 playoff game. Sam Ellinger, man, he's, he's one of those quarterbacks that just kind of has like a, an it factor. Like he's not sexy. He's not throwing up points, but he's willing to like put his body on the line, do what he needs to do to get first downs. And he seems like one of those field generals that you want under center. So if you can surround him with some talent, which again, Texas should be able to do, um, it's going to be interesting. And and it's going to come down to uh, Texas and Oklahoma always play the red river showdown, red river shootout, whatever the fuck you want to call it. That is always an interesting game. What I also like about that game uh, as well, Mr. Model is it comes a little earlier in the season than uh, traditional like rivalry week, which is almost near Thanksgiving. So it's a fun little thing to throw in there. Those games are always like 58, 54, Huge. Uh, you know, they're, they're crazy. And I think did they, these two teams met for the big 12 championship, right? Yes. Yeah. It was a pretty wild game. I thought Texas was going to come back, but Murray, uh, Murray had his, uh, you know, typical Kyler Murray there at the end. So it uh, looks like last year in the big 12 championship, Oklahoma won 39, 27. So, um, you never know with these teams and especially when they're playing, uh, that red river showdown, it's at a neutral site. So anything can happen there. It's not like one team's got a home field advantage. Yeah. So let's put all these teams in context a little bit to say what has changed over last year to this year. We've kind of already covered some of the, the key contributors who have either returned or departed, but just from an overall lens, um, Oklahoma, their offensive production, they were phenomenal last year with about 48.4 points per game. They lost a ton of offensive production. So they only were returning about 46% of their offensive production, which is good for 109th in wow. all of college football. That's really bad. Um, compare this to Texas, who returns about 57% of their offensive production. That's good for 88th. And Iowa State, who returns about 53% for 98th. So all three of those teams are kind of, you know, lesser uh, in terms of what they return from based on last year's contributions. But I would imagine them uh, still being able to reload and, and play pretty good. In terms of the defensive side of the ball, which is, you know, absolutely abysmal in the Big 12, Oklahoma was horrible last year. They return a ton of defensive production. Uh, they return 81%, good for 13th out of 130 teams. Now, my big question here is that even though they're returning a lot of production, is that actually a good thing? The team last year seemed to be completely overmatched with a lot of offenses that they faced. They gave up about 33 points per game, which is really high. Yeah. And I'm the open question for me is, do we expect that defensive unit to improve? You know, if they're bringing back that many people you think that would give them a chance to gel now whether they just don't have the talent i honestly don't know what it is i mean the entire big 12 they play no defense no defense like if you can hold a team to like iowa state you said they averaged uh you know was it almost 23 points a game on defense and somehow that's probably on the better side for the big 12 so I just don't know. And and, and again, it blows my mind that these big teams like Oklahoma and Texas and, and these big 12 teams cannot get talent on defense i mean these spread offenses these quick throw offenses it's not hard to, de- to defend those if you've got athletic fast people so get some pass rush that are like long and fast off the edge and get some really athletic corners i mean that doesn't seem like it's that hard when you are recruiting from a pool that texas and oklahoma is recruiting from 
Yep. So uh, just to reiterate, so Oklahoma returns 81% of their defensive production. Compare this to Texas, who only returns 40%, and compare that to Iowa State returning 68%. So, you know, Texas just in and of itself, they lose a ton of offensive production. They lose a ton of defensive production. And when you look at overall, they are 121st overall out of 130 teams. So Texas is having a huge reboot year from 2018 to 2019. Yeah. And, you know, Oklahoma almost can't do worse than where they were last year. They give up 30 points a game. I mean, that's embarrassing. Yeah. So there are so. a couple other things I would call out just in terms of, you know, the schedule and the notes. Um, to me, Oklahoma actually has a, a pretty a pretty good schedule. Um, so they have, in my opinion, three key games. The Red River rivalry against Texas, obviously at a neutral site. Oklahoma gets Iowa State home, and then they get Oklahoma State away. But I'm actually not super worried about that game. Um, compare that to Texas, who has actually a very interesting early season game against LSU. Texas is home for that. I actually think there's some really good perception things that you can do there. So let's pretend Texas gets absolutely blown out. Yep. You would imagine that their futures number is even more attractive than for big 12, um, which I you know, wouldn't be shocked, shocked to see that happen if they end up losing. So that's another reason for me of why you might want to wait on a Texas if they have an early test against LSU that doesn't go very well. That's interesting because even if they win that game, I'm sure their odds are going to decrease into the betters line a little bit, but you still have Oklahoma as the heavy favorite here. So uh, I like that. I like that. It's going to be interesting to see how they do against LSU. And then let's come back and check that. So let's see if that plus 300 line moves at all. Yeah. And then for Iowa State, they just have a gauntlet of Big 12 games that are going to be hard. So they are away at West Virginia and Texas Tech. And then they have Oklahoma State home. So follow those three games by away at Oklahoma and home against Texas. So Oklahoma and Texas are kind of at the very anchors or at the end of that kind of crazy uh, crazy travel schedule and games for them to me that's just not going to benefit them at all and that to me lands me all of that lands me really on why i like oklahoma for this big 12 uh, championship even though their odds are just crazy at minus 120 yeah and do you want to let the listeners in on uh your early action on some futures bets that you've already i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there's already a bias happening here so i already have some futures odds with oklahoma to win the national championship i also like them for the big 12 championship and, <laughs> and i'll give you <laughs> i'll give you a little thought process behind why okay so as of right now so a couple vegas sports books have come out with early odds for big games across the season now, if we look at the Oklahoma-Texas game at a neutral site, Oklahoma is currently favored by 11.5 points. So you're basically telling me that Oklahoma is going to be a double-digit favorite in every single game they play this year? I like that, right? Just yeah. I like that, period. Yeah. Now, now, just one more thing. If you then say, okay, well, they have about a 54% chance to win the Big 12, Let's compare that with like just an estimate of kind of what we think the the money line would be against a Texas. If we just said, okay, Oklahoma is about 65% likely to beat Texas um, just at that neutral site, you know, that translates to minus 190. So, you know, we're basically saying, I think it's going to be at, at least be 65%, if not higher. I think that 65% might be uh, conservative. 
So that to me is kind of that comparison point, 65% versus 54%, you're basically getting a 10% uh, value in, in locking your Oklahoma bet now. That And obviously a lot can happen, but that's why I kind of like Oklahoma. Even those minus 120 odds just aren't great. Yeah, and give us the line, the projected line that you've got for if they were to play. Yeah, I, minus 11 and a half. Which is a lot of points. Huge. And when these teams play, at least recently... It's been relatively close. So I'm just going to give you since 2013, okay? And we'll go over what the old scores have been. So 2013, Texas wins 36-20. That would be a Texas cover plus 11.5. The next year, Oklahoma wins 31-26. Texas would still cover 11.5. The next year, Texas wins 24-17, okay? Then Oklahoma wins in 2016. They win 45-40, another close battle. 2017, Oklahoma wins 29-24, another Texas cover. Then in 2018, we have 48-45 Texas win. And then in the uh, the Big 12 championship game was 39-27. So that would be a not cover for Texas. So they've covered pretty much every game since 2013. So if that comes up and that line is 11.5, I might be betting Texas, Texas to cover that. But – in terms of your, your logic here for the Big 12, um, I don't see a world where Oklahoma is not the Big 12 champion. And I know they're at one, minus 120, so you're paying a premium on these guys. Yeah. The only bet that I think would possibly be attractive would be Texas at plus 300. I just think Iowa is such a long shot. I mean, 7% uh, is kind of crazy. They've got a tough schedule, as we just covered. Um, I think because Texas has got an ability to beat Oklahoma, especially in a neutral field, um, that gives them a slight edge. But like you said, that LSU game early in the season is really going to be uh, an interesting test for interesting. them. So. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 you know, we'll see. I, I think to me too, as we think about, you know, we've alluded to this a bunch, but if you, if you take your position at Oklahoma now at minus minus one twenty or whatever you can get minus one 15, I think is probably maybe the best I've seen. And then when these teams play later, the possible hedge point for you would basically be taking maybe a little Texas action on that game. Cause I don't see, I don't see Oklahoma losing anything else. I actually wouldn't even, I wouldn't probably even head at that point. Yeah. But to me with just Texas as the obvious underdog in that game, it's going to be a even easier kind of more profitable head for you to make at that point. So to me, it's, it's nice if you just lock stuff, stuff in now with Oklahoma minus 120, that number is probably going to, get even less attractive for Oklahoma uh, folks. Um, so to me, it's like you, you take that now and you just kind of see it, how it plays out. Okay. So the big question, you've got Oklahoma to win the national championship. Okay. Now at I'm different assuming, odds. Yeah. At you're, different getting, odds. you're getting plus odds there, correct? Yes. So the question is now, Mr. Model, would you bet Oklahoma minus 120 to win the big 12? Yes. All right. All right. Well, now, I, I'm joining you on Utah, so I'm gonna give you. We're gonna be in that one together. Uh, we have put a little bet where we're on opposite sides involving Iowa and a couple of games that they're gonna play. Uh, I'm with you here. I'm taking. I'm gonna jump on this Oklahoma train. So let's throw some cash down. Uh, minus 120 for them to win the Big 12. Okay, and for the listeners, we will be looping back on these as the season goes along. So we will be holding ourselves accountable to the absolute shit that we've picked and to some of the hopefully good ones that we've picked too. 
Yeah, so like we said, we got 41 days left until kickoff. We're going to uh, recap, and we're also going to um, – I think we're going to do just some – there's a bunch of lines out there right now that are futures that are um, you know, kind of head-to-head matchups or which teams are going to have over-under for, uh, for the number of wins they're going to record this year. So I think right before the season starts, let's do a big um, prop bet other futures bets and recap what we've uh, already covered. So that way we got everyone primed and ready for the start of the NCAA football season. I love that. And we've been saving the uh, SEC conference to review as well. So we'll have to do that. Maybe not next week, but the following week. Woo, baby. Yeah. We're on our summer hours. You know, we're on, we're not on a rush here. When we put out content, we put out content. We, we cannot rush it for the beach. Right. But once football season is here, we are like clockwork folks. We're in set your alarm. We'll be here. Double down. Trent will be dropping. <laughs> Uh, okay, so that was uh, part one here. Uh, stick around. We are introducing a brand new segment that we are calling Role Players. So we're going to have uh, reoccurring guest Coulter come on. Uh, it's going to be a fun little summer series that we're hoping to maybe even potentially spin off into its own little podcast. So we'll see. Uh, so stick around for Role Players. Oh, look at that. It's like an ad for a fucking weight loss center. Before and way before. <laughs> this guy ever stopped breaking balls. Yeah, what I said, don't. They're like an ad for a weight loss center. Before and after. All right, for our next segment, we are doing something a little different here. So we've got the man, the model. We're here. We are talking a segment that we like to call role players. So we're welcoming on reoccurring guest Coulter here, who is going to provide us with a little bit of insight into what exactly what we're doing. And then we're going to jump into the first character that we're going to be doing. So first of all, Coulter, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to do role players with you guys. You know, I was listening to the Rewatchables podcast on The Ringer and uh, also listening to Villains, which is another spinoff that they did. And I was thinking there's got to be a way to do this for TV. And, you know, there's so many blogs about TV episodes and recaps, et cetera, et cetera. TV is all about characters, and so that's why we tune in every Sunday night is to watch our favorite characters, whether it's Marty Funkhauser on Curb Your Enthusiasm or, uh, you know, Marlo Stanfield in The Wire. It's like those are the characters that you're going to just remember throughout history, you know, throughout your lifetime. You're going to, those are the touchstones, how you remember these, these programs. So I was thinking of a way to, to kind of pay homage to these great, great characters and uh, to just kind of do them service and justice for their impact on the medium and also just to talk about the show in general, but also how these characters help build this world and build kind of its legacy and how we think about it. Uh, the kind of criteria is that it has to be a series. It can't be something like, uh, you know, a mini series. Band of Brothers is disqualified. It has to be something that has a stretch run of about 25 to 50 to ideally 70 episodes of television. Uh, it can't be one of the top four characters in the show so no tony soprano no no uh dr melfi there's no jack shepherd from lost there's no sansa stark from game of thrones uh and then these are people that are more than likely who are not nominated for their work these are people that are you know there's very good character actors who are supporting actors who got nominated um you look at john carlo esposito for breaking bad he went on and won many, many Emmy Awards, deservingly so in his role. But Mike Ehrmantraut, the guy who plays him, never, never 
was nominated, but yet was so integral to the show and so great. So they're essential to the show, but not necessarily the moral compass. And so those are kind of the founding pillars of the idea. Yeah. And you gave away a couple <laughs> of uh, probable characters that we're going to cover here. And if there's so many the- good ones, there really are yeah. so many good ones. If anyone from The Ringer is listening, uh, either credit us, give us a job, or let us host your podcast. So that's the goal. Um, yeah. Now, we've got, we've got a couple of uh, fun ways we're going to do this. So uh, first, we know, uh, based on what we've done here on Double Down Trend, that the man and the model have two very different ways of making picks and evaluating things. That's putting so, it lightly. <laughs> putting it lightly. Now, Mr. Model, now, we want you to be our analytics, our guy who's going to crunch these numbers. So give us a little insight in terms of how you are going to be keeping us in check during these segments. Yeah. So in my desire to always understand kind of where the, the role player that we're talking about is landing in the world of role players, I'm going to be forcing you guys to give me some ratings across a number of important attributes that we've decided. So for example, today we're talking poly walnuts. In the future, we'll be talking about a number of others, which I won't mention, But we're going to be rating every character that we discuss across five attributes with them. And then in the future, we'll then be able to kind of get an overall score for that role player. And we'll have a top 10 list. We'll have a top whatever list. What they would go for on the free agent market. That's right. That's right. We're going to be doing, we're going to be getting a little competitive here and we're going to be seeing where folks land. So the five attributes that I'm going to be forcing you guys to rank are, are you ready for this? Hit it. It is number one, quote, Scene, a plotter scheme, legacy, and beer with the character. And I want you guys to kind of go through and just briefly share about some of your context for why we are picking those five. Yeah, I think the the best quote is kind of self-explanatory and the easiest one to jump right into. That comes right again from the rewatchables pod. Uh, And it's just like watching anything, TV, movies. It's like the quote... you find yourself quoting these people. So it's an enchanting way to be the character and have him live on or her live on through this quote. So that's why you'd have the quote for sure. Yeah. And obviously these characters, as Coulter was saying, they're huge, uh, in importance towards the story, towards the show, you remember these characters, but they're not always on screen. They're not the ones that are carrying the majority of airtime. So they're, they're major scene. Obviously the supporting characters, uh, the writers are, have a little more flexibility to let these characters do a little, uh, outside of the box, uh, acting or thinking. So the, their impact on the scene. And then also with like a particular plot that they've put in motion or how they draw it, drive the story forward uh, to me is, is really important, um, which kind of segues into the legacy. Like what is their lasting impact on that show? Um, and then for, for us, I think the last one that we want to talk about is the fun one. Yeah. It's the more fun one. It's, do you want to have a beer with this character? And yeah, I, I think that's, that yeah. Cause that's like, that's really the essence of what it is. You know, these guys are great side or guys and girls. Cause we're going to do females too. These are great side pieces to the story so it's like a joan holloway and Mad Men. would love to grab a drink with her that would be like a top five definitely she's yeah. seen so many things like she's got she's got such pizzazz and just like it's such a conversationalist it's like these are this is a great way to to judge the person not only what they did in the show but how they would maybe operate outside of the show and kind of project them in our world oh and i'm i'm thinking aloud out loud here guys i actually think we could do instead of do you want to have a beer with it is what drink would you have like i'm not getting a beer with joan holloway i need some kind of fancy ass like i don't Definitely. know if it's an old-fashioned or like a negroni something you know you gotta mix it up with joan she's a classy lady yeah you can't just be having a beer with her you're absolutely right <laughs> all right so as uh as aaron said the our first 
honorary inductee into the Role Players Hall of Fame is no other than Pauly Walnuts, Pauly Galtieri from The Sopranos. Uh, one of my all-time favorite characters in any TV show ever. So, Coulter, amazing job by you for picking him. Why don't you start off uh, and, and let us know why you thought that Pauly would be a good person to kick this one off with. Yeah, because, you know, and to kind of bring it to the tie into the sports thing, I was thinking, you know, Sopranos are, they're the Bulls. You know, they're the 90s Bulls for TV. For people our age, that's it. I mean, you, the Sopranos is TV. That, that was the origins of what our, our touch point to television is. It begins and ends with the Sopranos. And I thought Polly of all the characters, he, he's so funny, but he's also complex. And so he provides this comedic relief with that throughout the show. And you're laughing at him and kind of just how ridiculous he is. But then he's also you know, a murderer. So it's like, it's just like Tony. It's like, you're like, you're totally drawn to him. Uh, but you can't, you can't get over the fact that like, he's also just this total, he's a villain. You know, we're talking about setting this show up villain or hero. He's, he's really neither, but he kind of is the hero. Cause he's the comedic light part of the show, but he's also the villain. Cause he's literally Tony's muscle and does so much of the murdering. Yeah, and there are – Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert if anyone hasn't seen it. Yeah, we should throw a major spoiler alert on everything that we're going to cover here if you haven't seen these shows. So and I know the model might need to cover his ears for some of this, but right. it's all right. And we, uh, we, yeah. we love murderers in our uh, – you know, Hannibal Lecter. Uh, look at Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Yeah, it's like Goodfellas. That's, the kind of, that's exactly why I think uh, Pauly's a great character because he's not the main character to this story, but, man, is he one of the pistons that, that fires this you know boat up down the river. Yeah, and you nailed it on the head. There's many weeks where he was literally the funniest person on TV. Like I remember there's certain lines that he he'll they're almost throwaway lines that you're just oh. laughing your ass off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean no character has made me laugh. Uh, you know, I was creating this kind of list of role players and you know, he's in one of the darkest shows, but yet he's so funny. His comedic timing and it's so funny cuz uh, Tony Cicero who plays him doesn't really have much of a comedic background. He's more of a straight guy. It's, you know, he yeah, a lot of roles in mob movies. He was also in Goodfellas and he did a little bit of Woody Allen. So I guess he has some comedic background, but not like this. It's just so dark and, and humorous. Well, what I would say too, I consider myself a little bit of an expert on all things mafia, either movies or TV <laughs> shows. And it just seems so often in all of these movies that the mafia guys that are in the crew, they're, they're just breaking each other's balls so much that there's so much yes. dark humor that the ultimate ball breaker. Yeah. That I, I think, you know, you just kind of inherently have that in those crews. And even if you've got a group of friends, like if you've known each other for a long time, of course you, you know, you're, you're friendly making fun of each other. And I think that's what he nails. And let's dive in just real quick on Tony Sirico. So in real life, this guy was arrested I, I 28 times. I butchered his name, by the way. Thank you for, uh, for covering <laughs> me there. No, it's all good. He was arrested in real life 28 times. So this is a guy who I think grew up in that kind of world, in that realm. So I th- think for him, you know, obviously he's acting, but he's certainly pulling upon a lot of real life uh, instances right. and I guess a lot of situations that he's uh, come across. <laughs> he's the most lived in character. And I, the 28 arresting, you know, I've, I've read that before and it doesn't even surprise me. It's like, of course he has been. It's like it's. It seems so real. And that's why The Sopranos was such compelling TV is that it was really – it was real. It was real right. stuff. You know, It was a right. fictitious plot. But, I mean, these are real themes and issues that we deal with. It's, it's such a great program and it's, it's history. 
that, to dial it all back, that's why I chose him. I chose the Sopranos. Is that how could we not start with TV uh, last twenty years? It all it all goes back to the Sopranos, right? Oh, absolutely. Everything starts in terms of what we know in the modern era of television. Starts with the Sopranos. I mean, that's just a given. Born, so. born at the Born at the Bing, right? Born at the Bing. So let's jump in with this. Um, I, let's start right off the bat with best quote. Paulie has got so many. So as like a little bit of a, a research, uh, a little prep for this, I sent out a YouTube clip. It was about eight minutes long. It could have been probably about 35 minutes. I mean, you could fill an entire Sopranos episode just with Paulie Walnut quotes and clips here. Um, I've got yeah. a couple of thoughts here, but Coulter, you want to start with this one? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'll go with the one. Uh, you're a little too worried about what I give you. Worry a little bit more about what you give me. You're too fucking worried about what I give you. Worry a little more about what you give me. And that's basically him in a nutshell. It's all about the bottom line for this guy. And that's what, it, you know, he's so loyal to Tony, but at the same time, you always feel like in any scene he can be bought out and he could be the guy that flips on Tony. He's not like, he is the most loyal guy, but then you're almost constantly on edge. Like, is this the season that Polly's going to get whacked for betraying Tony? Because it's like totally within the, the range of the show that that could happen at any moment. Yeah. Like he can and just get bought by somebody. You nailed it on the head because I always thought he was the most loyal. Like he was never going to rat and flip to the cops, but no. there were times when he was, you know, talking with Johnny Sack and maybe he was right. going to go over with the rival crew and they betray they, the location. Yep. They hit on that a lot. And you could see that because as you said, that quote perfectly encapsulates Paulie is that he's out for himself. Even though he's a loyal Definitely. soldier, he's always out for himself. Uh, for me, I went with a little different route here because I always found him to be the comedic relief in this show. And as I said, some of his things are just so fucking funny. So there's a scene where Chrissy just becomes a made guy. He's in Paulie's crew and Paulie's just breaking his balls. <laughs> they're hanging out, they're shooting pool. And he thinks Paulie's wearing a wire. I don't think it's he so actually good. thinks he's wearing a wire, but he's like, Chrissy, take off your clothes. And so Chris takes off his shirt reluctantly. He's all pissed. And Paulie's like, no, take everything <laughs> off. So he's down to his boxers. And he said, I said everything. And Chrissy's like, get the fuck out of here, Paulie. And so Paulie starts busting his balls. He goes, at first, I was breaking your balls. Now I think you're hiding a wire. So Chrissy takes off his underwear. He's completely naked and standing in front of him. Paul just looks at him and goes, I guess you could call that a dick. <laughs> it's so good. The timing of it is so good. I was laughing just with you starting that. I, it's so funny. I love yeah, that scene. His comedic delivery is great, too. Now, I'm going to throw out an alternative because he has this kind of running gag where he'll repeat a joke to Tony. So he'll say a joke to some people. And then they'll go, hey, Tony, did you hear what I just said? And he'll say the exact same joke back. So, yeah, he's testing the room almost to right. make sure that it's, it's worth setting up the Tony. Exactly. So the other one is they're sitting at a restaurant, and he goes, hey, you remember your first blowjob? He goes, yeah. Well, how long did it take the guy to come? He turns and goes, hey, T, did you hear what I says? I says, you remember your <laughs> first blowjob? He says, yeah. I says, how long did it take the guy to come? <laughs> oh, we fucking people Pauly. like that. Uh, we all have people in our lives too that are like they're they're repeaters, you know. <laughs> they, they they always want approval too for what they've said. He definitely fits that as well in the yeah. social sense. Uh, yeah, he, he always so he, is. He's always constantly trying to be like the number one, not only in position in the army, but also in like the social situations within the show too. So it's so funny. He's constantly competitive, whether it's for money or for applause. Yep. He's a true gesture. True comedic relief. So we're going to now rank this 1 to 10. Uh, what would you give for Polly for, for best quote? 10 being obviously the highest. 
And yeah, you need to remember that this is going to be something that you're comparing to all the other role models we do in the future. So don't go too high, don't go too low, but really try to position him about where he falls. Yeah. See, I Polly, not a college graduate, not going to hold that against him, but he's not exactly sage wisdom. And it's not like he's actually, he doesn't necessarily help Tony through a time of weakness. You know, he kind of relates to him and says like, yeah, I've been to therapy and that's the most he gives him like in terms of helping him progress as a human. So I'm going to go with his best quote as, as a solid five, because it, it definitely defines who he is, but it's not necessarily any sort of wisdom or you wouldn't put it in the yearbook. Basically. I think that's the best way I wouldn't put it in a yearbook. I'm with you. Nothing that Paulie says is all too memorable. And while he has a ton of really funny lines, uh, you're never like thinking of that one line. Like if you think of, for instance, Goodfellas, Joe Pesci, you could quote him a thousand different ways in that movie. I don't know if you can necessarily do that with Pauly in this one, even though he's got a ton. I'm going to give him, uh, I'll go with the six for quote for Pauly. He's like the role player, you know, who he's going to jack up a lot of shots and a couple of them are going to go in, but he's more of a volume shooter. So he's got a <laughs> lot of quotes. I'm sure there's 25 quotes that are all time great, but they're not any of, none of them are truly, truly memorable. So that's why I put him up put them right in the middle. So agreed. I, I heard five and I heard from six from you guys, but I'm going to force you guys to agree on a single number and that's what we'll do moving forward. So wh where are you going to land? Five or six? All right, I'll throw five. Uh, I, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm actually fine with six too, because you know, he does have so many, so you got to give him credit for the abundance, but it's definitely not, it's not quality. It's more quantity. With yeah. All right. Let's stick it right. A solid five. That, that seems yeah. right. All right. Now, model, we got. did we go over the proprietary algorithm that we're using to score here? Well, we don't want to share too much, but we do have a weighting system that we've instituted behind our uh, scores. So even though these guys are going 1 to 10, don't think that those just kind of get summed and averaged and compared. We definitely have some little more intricacy behind. Uh, so some of these attributes are weighted more heavily than others, and that's going to be part of our double down trend proprietary scoring model. Woo baby. I get, <laughs> I get I goosebumps like just thinking of it. Cause the quote <laughs> isn't, you know, the quote is not as, you know, that's like uh, saying a guy's dribble is more valuable than his shot. You know, it's the quote has to be valued a little less than the legacy of the character itself. Right. Agreed. So the next category we got is scene. So can we drill down to one individual scene that is memorable for, for this character? So Coulter, I'll let you take this one away because I, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in agreement with you here. So why don't you take this one away? Yeah. You know, it's hard to argue uh, that Chris and Polly aren't the best pairing in TV history. <laughs> you know, they're like the best <laughs> odd couple. You know, you keep seeing it over and over again with all these shows. You see it like on the lighthearted end. Stranger Things does this thing with Stephen Dustin this year. You see it on all these shows, Brienne and Jamie and Game of Thrones. I mean, we can go on and on and on. The odd couple. It mm -hmm. started with Chris and Polly. Chris is too integral to the story. He can't be a role player. He's like Scottie Pippen to yeah. Tony's, you know, Jordan. Polly is so much more Ron Harper, you know. So, but he is so, <laughs> he, he is so vital to the Chris storyline that, like, you can't not mention Chris when you're talking about Polly because they're just connected at the hip. They're basically with each other for what the first two to three seasons of the show. At least three seasons, yeah. Yeah, 
So they're they're kind of hustling together, and so and that's the heart of the show too. I mean, it's obviously great in five and six, but I mean the Chrissy Polly stuff early on, it's just too good. Anyways, one of the best episodes is Pine Barrens. That's I think the best scene. It's hard not to think of this show, this character, without thinking of Pine Barrens. The banter, them being lost in the woods, them being in the, the van. It's an all-time great television uh, episode, and just the performances in that alone, and the writing, and just the bar being going back and forth. It per- perfectly does that little partnership uh, complete justice. So for someone who's not familiar with the show and hasn't seen this scene, give me the context around what the heck the Pine Barrens are. And, uh, you know, you don't, don't go through uh, everything, but give me a little something. 15 second recap. Uh, Polly and Chrissy go to this Russian mobster's house to whack him or yeah. to collect. They're, They're going to collect. collect. But then the guy gets hostile. They think they kill him. They don't end up killing him. They're transporting him out to the Pine Barrens to get rid of him or kill him and then get rid of his body. He ends up waking up, runs away. They think they shoot him. They're convinced that they've shot him and dead. <laughs> but then they find blood tracks in the snow. It's 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 snow in the middle of the middle of winter. So they have to go track this guy down, thinking that he's somewhere there out in the Pine Barrens, bleeding. They're arguing whether or not he's alive. They stumble on this van because they're so freezing, and then they basically have to stay overnight, uh, yelling at each other, eating what ketchup packets. Ketchup packets. Van. Yep. Yeah. So so the best the best scene would be them in the van and then Bacala comes and rescues them if memory serves. Yep. So there's so many yeah. just fantastic moments from that scene. Tonight. I was debating putting this in and including it in the best quote, but because it's a more of a conversation, I, I can't. So uh, Tony calls them and they got bad cell phone service and uh, basically Paulie's explaining what happened. They had to go out and like kill this guy. So Tony's like, this guy cannot come back to tell this tale. So they're like, make sure he's fucking dead. And Tony goes through and tells him that you know, he's, he's this guy, he's killed 16 Chechens. He was in the interior defense, but there's a kind of loss in translation. The cell phone doesn't go through. So Paulie kind of hangs up and goes to Christopher. He goes, geez, this guy killed 16 Chechens. He's some kind of interior decorator. And Chrissy goes, huh, this place looked like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just fucking yeah. great. I, I, I hate to laugh on the pod, but it's just thinking back on it just brings you smiles. It's just pure yeah. joy. Just th- thinking and, about that dynamic. And you, you mentioned too, because Bacala shows up with Tony the next day to, to, to rescue them. And when, when Tony first sees Bacala, he's in all this fucking hunting gear. Right. He's in like orange and camo and he's so fucking fat. Tony just cracks up looking at him yeah. and bah, poor Bacala's yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's one of Tony's best moments too. The episode is just, it fires on all cylinders and is so good. Uh, but that scene in the Vem in the van, eating the ketchup packets frozen, uh, thinking that they're going to freeze to death is perfect. Yeah, and you it's a very rare scene where you see Paulie Walnuts with his angelic little white tails of hair on the side of his temples. They're all messed up. You don't see Paulie like that uh, very often, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting he's, scene. He's very vain. We should mention that. I don't know if we're going to get to it in another category, but he is <laughs> one of the – he's – if not the – I don't even – I think there is another person that I came up with when I was thinking of role players that is as vain as Polly. That guy cares so much about how he looks. It's not even. Oh, yeah. Always driving the Cadillac. Um, yeah. He's all about appearance and, and, and uh, the outward, outward appearance yeah. for sure. My only alternative here, and I'm going to go with the Pine Barrens ultimately as being the best scene that they're in, um, would be, and this is a major spoiler alert, so I'm sure the model probably doesn't want to hear this right now. You might want to unplug the headphones here but uh it's when they're on the boat all together it's chrissy not chrissy it's uh tony paulie and silvio and, and big pussy so and big um, pussy, yeah i was you know, obviously that one too. 
Tony and Big Pussy had the closest relationship, but you could see how hard it hit Pauly. And Pauly was just, and that whole scene, his like his demeanor there, he wasn't messing around. He felt so betrayed. Like I think Tony had a little bit of a a conflict uh, of heart. Like he he it was his best friend, but he knew he had to do it. Pauly was just like, yo, this guy's got to be fucking killed. And he just stood there and just put some caps in Big Pussy. So uh that scene to me was really impressive and some of the better work that uh that Tony Sirico did in terms of just pure acting. Yeah, he's very much by like, you know, this guy did wrong, he's going to die. He doesn't have the uh the complexities or the the depth that Tony does, you know. It doesn't wear on him. He just he almost wakes up every morning and it's just like he's starting anew almost like uh groundhog day. <laughs> it's like it's just like every day is just groundhog day to him and it's just like he'll wake up and he'll just do some murdering, go back to bed and wake up and he just keeps going on. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I'm going to go with you though. I think Pine Barrens is the best, uh, the best scene there. So, um, let's give this a wait here. Oh yeah. Uh, this is a high one. I would put this at an eight or nine range, probably a little, maybe halfway between that eight, 8.5, uh, all time great episode. And the scene of them in the, in the truck is definitely one of the best. I mean, it's, it really says a lot that you can have an episode with, I mean, if we were just going to rate them in terms of like, let's say it's an NBA team, Chrissy is the fourth most important player on the NBA team. And, uh, Polly is like, let's say eight and they held the entire episode, you know, it was as good as any episode in the entire series. Uh, basically Luke Longley or Tony Kukoc and Ron Harper were just as good as anything with Jordan and Pippen thinking it like that. It might even be higher. Maybe it's nine or 10, you know, it's an all time role player episode. And it just, this is why we're doing this podcast. I mean, it, it's amazing that a guy who's that far away, not far away physically from the main character, because he's always near him, but he's far away from the central conflict of the show, which is Tony's brain. Um, and so, yeah, but he's so far away, but he's so integral that he could have such an impact on an episode like this. Yeah. It really says a lot. I mean, imagine a playoff game where Jordan and Pippen played a combined what 12 minutes <laughs> yeah i was gonna say how many of the main characters are you even in this and tony's in it for like six minutes maybe yeah and it's one of the best episodes i think yeah it's i don't the top rated episode on imdb i'm almost positive oh definitely that that's the most memorable um and mr model david chase could trust him you know he could trust him to do an episode like this yeah it would be that good mr model can we do uh half a points here is that allowed i will allow it Okay. I'm also willing to go for a nine because it really the episode itself is so good and, and the scene makes the episode and you know it's just such an important moment in TV history. I mean, it's so you can't talk Sopranos without talking Pine Barrens, right? I agree. I'm with you, know, you there. Um, you know, it's actually a funny like this could be a side category for for future role players discussions, but it's almost because you just said something that I have to focus on. It, it, it you know, it's like. <laughs> Jordan only gets 12 minutes of time. The whole reason why this episode is, is because uh, Silvio is sick. So yeah. this, is the, this is the ultimate what if episode of television. What if dot, 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 the guy who actually leads Tony's army, Silvio is dead or not there. And then it falls to Polly to run the entire operation and look <laughs> at where they end up. They end up almost freezing to death without their shoes on in the middle of the woods in New Jersey. It's so great. It is the ultimate. What if like responsibility and order were thrown out the window and look what happens. <laughs> it, they literally, it turns into chaos within one hour of TV, like and almost death, borderline death. Yeah. Um, I think we hold off on a nine right now, even though I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, yeah. what if we come, this is our first 
first character. You know, that means we're setting an incredibly yeah. high bar, which we are. Um, I think I'm going to vote eight and a half bar. here. Eight, eight and a half is fine. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm totally fine with an eight and a half. All right, I Done. love it. Okay, now this next one kind of this next category kind of plays into scene, but we're calling this uh, impact on the plot or um, a scheme that this character has had. Now. I think Paulie's a really interesting one, and I, I know we kind of touched on this. For a guy who's in so many episodes and is so vital, Paulie really doesn't have a major scheme that he sets into motion, which I found very interesting. Yeah, he's very much – he's like a delivery boy. You know, you give him an order and tell him to drop it off here, collect here, collect there, murder there. He, you know, <laughs> he does. <laughs> he's a doer. Yeah. He's really – he's the ultimate get-it-done type person. But that's, you know, these are essential characters to TV and movies, the guys that get shit done. You know, the show would not be as fun if it was just Tony in a room talking to Melfi. You have to see the guts of the world and the guts of the world is exactly what uh, Paulie's doing every single week. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought of a few kind of schemes and things that he had near the end of the show. So um, I remember... I forget what the name of the episode was, but he throws this big like Italian festival um, that <laughs> he's been doing for years, and they get the money on the girl. Oh, like, man, that is hands down the winner. Yeah, I was yeah. going to go with the pile of my poster. <laughs> Holy shit, I forgot all about with the church, right? Yeah, with the church, exactly. <laughs> oh my, god. oh my god, sorry. I just have to say, I haven't even seen the show, and the enthusiasm you guys have right now is just amazing. I'm dying over here. It's so good, and he like, <laughs> he like shorts and like tries to skimp out on like yeah. paying like the safety yeah. people to check on all the rides. So of course the rides yeah, are in terrible that's condition. The for sure. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely the winner. That's like in the final like like six episodes. Is yeah. It or no? Yeah, it's near the end of the show. Oh, I, I can't remember if it's like oh. the exact couple, but yeah. it's so funny, right? He skimps on the safety for the kids. It's so good. <laughs> and doesn't Bacala get in his face about it? So yeah, because because uh, Janice and Bacala's yeah. kids get hurt. <laughs> yes yeah yeah oh man oh god that's good <laughs> and again oh that one is good like, not monumental to the overall show they could have not had that in there but it's so damn funny and so right. important because it shows the familial tensions you know tony's got to appease his sister in bakala who's now you know in the army but he's also got to balance it with Polly, who's like one of his top earners and, yeah, that's so good. I love that. <laughs> uh, give us the, the Piomai one, though, because I was a huge fan of the Piomai. So Piomai, uh, Tony has a racehorse. My fantasy football team was named Piomai this year. Uh, that's awesome. He had, he, had a, he, had a, he had a racehorse that dies, right? He yeah. Gets, so we'll yeah. go into detail. It, 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 yeah, anyways, it's not a successful uh, venture for Tony, but <laughs> – Paulie Walnuts wants to keep its legacy alive with this George Washington like painting of Tony and the horse. He salvages it from behind the Bing, right? They discard it like it's nothing. Tony wants it, nothing to do with it. Paulie loves it for his apartment for some reason, and he hangs it up. And he, I, I, I remember him like crying, looking at it, like it's just so funny. Well, like 
how much he loves the poster of Tony, which I also love. And correct, I think it's hysterical. Correct me if I'm wrong too, but I believe in the original po- in the original painting, it's just Pyomai and Tony looking normal, right? And then when Paulie takes it, yes. he adjusts it to make him look like Napoleon or George Washington. Yeah, George. Yeah, he has the the cigar and the whiskey glass and yeah. like the uh, the smile to his face. Yeah, no, it's so it's so rich. Uh, I, I love horse racing, and I can't go to the horse track. Or even bet on horse racing without thinking of Piomai. So I mean, what a legacy! And yeah, it, and, it, and it really is because of Polly. Like I love Tony's T- Tony's connection to Paul, uh, Piomai is also very funny. But Polly brings it to like the nth degree. Like it would have been a fun subplot for Tony's story arc. But then it's like the fact that they brought it, they revived it with Polly, and then it creates this tension with Tony right. and Polly, which right. is going on throughout the series because he's just such like a he's such a good earner, but he's also so not someone you'd want to work with. It's right. He's to- just such a dick too. <laughs> it's the um, all time. Like I get why you work for me, but I hate you at the same time. <laughs> uh, okay. So should we go? I think we, I think we got to pick the, the festival he throws. Yeah. No, that's so ridiculous. The fact that he skimps on the, the safety for the kids <laughs> rides. <laughs> oh, and, then, and then Bacala, I think it's his son or his daughter gets hurt. It's, it's so rich. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, so what are we giving him for for impact on the plot and scheme? What's the call, guys? What's the call? Well, I think that ex- the, the, what we're giving the crown in this category is that would be like a three. Uh, but if we're talking about how much he impacts the actual plot, I I try to I would I kind of want to bump it up to a five just because he he does have such an impact on Chrissy's storyline, uh, and I I don't even know what Chris's character would. I know he has so many good scenes with Tony, but. Chris is made so much more rich because yeah. of Polly. It's like his scenes with Tony are some of my favorite in the entire series. The whole arc with his dad and the killing it. Like, I don't, I don't want to spoil all of it, but like his arc is brilliant. And I love Chris as a character, but man, without Polly, I don't know if I'd like him as much. It's like, he really is the, uh, the spice that you put in the sauce there. It's so totally agree. And we may have to kind of tweak this and see if maybe we change it to like impact on the plot because Scheme wise, like that festival thing is fucking hilarious, but that really ultimately does yeah. not have much of an impact on the show. Um, so, the ultimate thing of the show, but yeah. he's vital to the plot in, of the entire series, you know. So, and, and it, it's worth noting too, not uh, spoiler alert, that he makes it out. <laughs> I right, it's like the ultimate. It's the ultimate Buscemi and Reservoir Dogs, like the guy, yeah. that you, the the loud motherfucker who won't stop talking and shooting his gun and is just belligerent the whole time. That's the guy walking out with the money at the end. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, unreal! So, good. so you want just give him a six here, or do you want to stick with five? What do you think? I'd say we go with a five. Okay, uh, just just because he truly is a role player in the sense that he never changes Tony's way of thinking, and I think. If we're, if, if we're going to boil it down to that much, we have to say that he doesn't impact – he doesn't make Tony a better person or a worse person. He just does, as I was saying earlier. He's like the ultimate – you know, he just makes the task. He takes the task and does it like foot soldier. Very true. Very true. Um, I think before we, – we originally had if they're a hero villain. I think we have that as a talking point. So let's do the next category here, which is the ultimate legacy of this character. So – I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory, but basically why, why was this character important and not just to the show, but I think in general moving forward is like, what kind of impact does this person have on future, you know, role players and TV shows? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think I touched on it earlier with the the Chris Paul dynamic, the odd couple. I mean, every single show that I've watched in my life has tried to replicate that to some point, period. And so, you know, he's half of that odd couple dynamic that I'm sure that they there's odd couples throughout TV history. I mean, there's plenty of shows from the 80s and the early 90s that have duos that are weird, but like. The, what makes this weird is that Chris is not the main character either. He's Tony's protege, and then he's in all these scenes in the first three to four seasons with Polly, who's just another member of Tony's army. So it's like these two guys that are trying to like work their way up the ladder. So there's always this kind of goal, you know, who wants to get Tony's favor more? So there's more to it than just this odd couple. It's this competitive spirit, and it really is kind of the propeller of the show early on. It really gives it the uh, the kind of you know, the male tension, almost, yeah. so to speak, you know, Tony is a very interesting character and he's probably number one on all time TV show characters, but like the, the psychotherapy stuff, if it, if that was just what the Sopranos was, it wouldn't be the same show. People would not like it as much. What they like about it is the ball busting, the inside the bing and these little, you know, plots with Chrissy and Polly. It's yeah. really good. And it's so interesting too, because you, you, you nailed that as well as that Chrissy was kind of put on to be the mentor and you got Polly, who's a lot older than these guys. He's almost like a pseudo and father. Terri- yeah. And he's terrible he's a terrible guy. And he's terrible to get Chrissy ready for that mentor role. It's like, right. if you were, it was like, if you had a son and you wanted to groom him to be like, just like you, but then you left him with your most degenerate friend. It's like, well, he's not going to become like you. He's going to become like the degenerate friend. Cause that's who he's spending. That's who he's exposed to all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm with you here. So I, like we said, this was the best person that I think we could have started with uh, to ensure this. Because when you think of a, a side character, I mean, Paulie's the fucking guy. I mean, there's shows after this that really hit on this and, and uh, you know, brought in really complex side characters. Um, and, you know, we, we're going to touch on this a little bit. Like the hero villain, like Paulie. I mean, the whole Sopranos cast is technically villains, but like yeah. they're all anti-heroes. Right. So you got to find the, yeah. the the heroes in them. And I, I mean, Paulie's not a villain by the true words of it, but there's not much of a redeeming characteristic. Like as an audience, as, as someone watching it, I love the character because he's funny, he's interesting. But like, if you were in that Sopranos crew, I mean, he's as bad as it gets. Yeah, you don't want you don't want to spend Pine Barrens with him. Like he is the worst. If you had said cast away Pine Barrens type situation, if you're part of the mob and you're saying okay, you have to be cast away slash Pine Barrens with one other guy, you're like Polly Walnuts is the last person I'm choosing <laughs> for that situation. Like, right, hands down, because it goes back to the vanity thing. He is such a muscle. It's and it's such an irony. And I put this in our thing. He's so old school, simple, predictable. But yet he's so vain and new school that he's so useless when it comes to like them surviving in the wilderness because he's so used to his lavish lifestyle. It's so like (laughs) he's such a rich character. He's so he's so simple and like he's just so easy to understand. If you can explain to somebody, he's the ultimate foot soldier. He just does what he's told. He's simple. He likes to bust balls with the guys. But at the same time, he's also this weird character who's made so much money and he's bought himself so many shoes and pants and shirts and shit that he's so artificial he all cares about his his wardrobe and he he could kill people and he could be as as intimidating as any character ever but he also can't survive in the wilderness for more than a day because he's so connected to that material world it's so funny 
And I think in terms of legacy too, I mean, he is just so memorable. You've got his crazy ass silver hair in his temples. You got oh, the, the track suits. He's the always wearing suit. that, you so know, the, the pinky rings, the Cadillac. I, I mean, I, he's the definition of like an old school mafia guy. We should spend two minutes. Cause I did just say he was, he's attracted to the material things. We should actually go into this. Is the track suit expensive or no? Is that a cheap way to buy clothing <laughs> or is that, is that, because I always took it at like he's dropping thousands of dollars on his wardrobe. Like, am I wrong? Like, what do you I mean? was with you because okay. I, when you think of a tracksuit, you think of like you can just go down to like Dick's Sporting Good and buy a matching like zip up for like forty bucks. But I don't think Paulie's doing that. I think Paulie's buying like expensive Italian made, yeah. like you know. Okay, so you and I are in agreement. I just want yeah. to be sure. I I mean, I'm thinking his tracksuits cost at least five hundred dollars each, like yeah. easily. I mean, they're, the they're only like thing silk and shit, right? I think the only thing he doesn't spend money on in terms of his look and appearance would be the uh, the white kind of wife beater tank top thing that he's always wearing. Like that would be the only thing I can feel like he spent like a dollar on. <laughs> yeah, that that he doesn't have kids, but again, he spends it on himself. I feel like I don't know. I, he yeah. definitely is a he's a material person. I, I oh, big time. <laughs> I think uh, for for legacy though, he's this guy is the iconic. I think for me, I, I'm I'm willing to give this a nine. I think I'm willing to give it a nine as well. I mean, if you're talking about any of these all-time shows, Eighth Man, let's just do a show-by-show comparison, Breaking Bad. Who is the eighth man in Breaking Bad? Jane, the girl who dies from the heroin overdose in the second season? I mean, she really is. I I did it. I wrote it down. I went Breaking Bad, top eight characters. Jane is eight. Polly (laughs) is eight on The Sopranos for me. Wait, let's let's quickly hear your eight because I'm kind of curious now. Give me your eight. For The Sopranos? Yeah. Okay, it's Tony, Chrissy, Melfi. Um, obviously Tony's wife. Yep, Carmela. And then you have Silvio. Silvio, Chris. Uh, you have yeah, Meadow, Chris, and then Ooh. Junior, and then Polly. Well, you got Meadow ahead of Polly, huh? Yeah, I mean she's got the college episode in the first season, and he spends his last moments with her. You think? I mean, I mean, Artie Bucco can't be in the top eight. No, right? I mean, no, I no, no. Keep, I keep. I, I keep it within the family. And then the other thing is, I mean, we're going too big on the Sopranos and getting away from Polly. It's like, yeah, <laughs> to, uh, AJ represents what Tony wants his legacy to be, but I think he really sees a lot of himself in Meadow. So it's like, if yeah. they do make it out there in the end, in the final scene, it's like, I think, I think he'll have the revelation eventually. Like I can't leave the family to Anthony and like Meadow can obviously run this yeah. operation. One. Yeah. Like she, get- she's business savvy. Yeah. It is kind of wild when you put it that way. I mean, I may slightly nitpick with the, with those two flip flops in there, but like you said, I mean, at, I, at best he's seven. Yeah, I should say. I mean, if you're talking about like who means the most to the show, like if I'm building the, the Mount Rushmore and Mount Rushmore all of a sudden is five and six, five and six are going to be Silvio and Polly. But yeah. like the kids, I mean, AJ is he's a terrible actor, and everybody agrees he's kind of like this black hole of the series. But like he is still in the top eight. Like so, yeah. yeah. I, I was just going. I was going immediate family, and then building out from there. Yeah. I actually think I gave nine because I gave junior. So we could even leave AJ off. Yeah. Pretty wild. Okay. <laughs> so last category we got here is, would you have a beer with this character? I think as we said, maybe we modify this as, would you have a drink with this character? Um, this is going to be an interesting point of debate because I think if you are part of Tony's crew and right. you're on good terms, which is not, not easy to do with Polly, then it'd be He's unbelievable. So- He's so easy to upset too. That's the other right. Thing. We didn't even. He's so like pissy. He's he's <laughs> so upset all the time. It's so good. 
Um, I think I would. I think uh, for me, I know this is a little stretch, and I, I know this is not on the initial topics of what drink we would have. For me, it'd be a little limoncello, a little espresso, and we're sitting outside of Satriali shooting the shit. That would be it for me. Yeah, I, I would let him dictate what he wants to drink, but it would definitely, if, if he said anything uh, that was Italian, I would I would definitely drink that with him for sure. Commandatori. <laughs> I mean, I, does, does he do much drinking in the show? I, I know they drink at the Bing all the time, but I'm trying to think, like, what is it? Is it whiskey? Uh, I could see him being like a uh, amaretto kind of guy. Yeah, I was going to say, is it Cicerone <laughs> or amaretto? That's actually uh, maybe a little Zambuca? Yeah. Oh, you know, that, they do drink that in the Sopranos. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now we're on track. But so yes, I'm a- I would, I, I would definitely have a drink with him. Whatever I would is. too. I would too. Even if I'm like on bad terms with him, I think it would just be fucking entertaining. Uh, I'm going to go, what do you think? A seven? Yeah. What? Well, yeah. Yeah. I would say seven is good because he's not probably going to have, the, you're not going to have like a Socrates, like enlightening conversation with this guy. Uh, however, he's going to, crack you up and bust your balls probably better than anybody that we come up with on this show in further episodes so in that sense he's going to definitely keep you on your toes and it'll be like you're boxing with muhammad ali verbally but it (laughs) it won't you won't necessarily get much from it other than that so yeah i mean those are the conversations i live for so a seven for sure (laughs) all right so just to call it out you guys have rated all five attributes of the character his overall score right now is 7.5 so we will continue to go back and see kind of how that compares to all the other characters, role players that we uh, tackle in the future. All right. I yeah, feel like I'm that's forward oh, to it. I was going to say, I feel like that's even a little low for Pauly, but based on what we did, that's it. We'll see how other characters shake out, but that's uh, yeah. kind of wild to me. Yeah, it, it is. It is weird to see that 7.5 attached to his name. Cause I mean, arguably he's a 10, he's a perfect role player, <laughs> but he, but he comes with his flaws. So yeah. <laughs> And I was trying to think he's perfect. No, I was trying to think, you know, good, uh, you know, an analogy to NBA players, because that was the best. You you hit perfectly on the the bulls there. Um, I was thinking like a Tony Kukoc, you know, somewhere in that range, maybe more modern day. A guy like Andre Iguodala could be a good association for him. Just, you know, not going to take over the game. But I'm trying to think of somebody who bust who busts balls. You know, who's the ultimate ball buster? See, you know, that'd be like a Gary Payton, but he's too much of a, a star. Yeah, no, Gary Payton, that's a different show. We're not doing any Gary Payton awards. This is the Ron Harper, Tony Kukoc show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, I feel like I think I've heard Andre Iguodala kind of talks a lot of shit, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, no, Iguodala is definitely a uh, he's a ball buster for sure. All right. Well, Paulie Walnuts, he got uh, he got the treatment that he deserved here. One of my favorite characters ever on a TV show. The guy just cracks me up. You're, you're always curious as to what's going to happen when he's on the screen. The amount of one-liners, just fantastic fucking character. Yeah, you know, he's he really is. Uh, they've tried to replicate him in so many other shows with the, the comedic relief against the, the backdrop against great dramas. And you even watch, if you pay close enough attention in some of these shows like A Boardwalk Empire, they'll try to integrate somebody like that to make people laugh and then they'll just realize it's just not working then they'll just scrap the character or scrap like the comedic art arc in the middle of like seasons so it's just that hard you if you watch other shows and you see how they change uh with these type of characters that are like role players that try to be funny and then if it's not working they have to like change it really quickly and it's like great trust for the actor to know that he was going to nail this throughout the entire series because 
it is not easy and he makes it look effortless and just cheers to him. I, yeah. Kudos. Yeah. Well, it's a great entry into the role players segment. We're uh, looking forward to keeping this going. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for uh, doing this. It's, of I'm, course. I'm excited about it. We want to hear some feedback from the listeners. I think our ultimate goal is to have this be its own podcast and we've got ourselves a double down Trent network here. Huh? How about that? Love one? it. Build out that network. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's uh, that wraps us up for this episode. Great work, Coulter. Great work, Mr. Model Air. Way to give us a little insight with the uh, the proprietary algorithm. We're going to keep that under wraps, though, because this is what we do here on Double Down Trent. <laughs> um, all right. We own. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. Uh, stay tuned for next week. We were still on our summer hours, so you never know when it's going to drop. But we got a new episode coming out for you soon, so see everybody next week. Baby, look at me. Look at me. Your money, you know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? Mikey, that's who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. All right, fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.